This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. On this week's episode, I'm going to be tackling coaching changes in the NHL. This past year was a historic year for the amount of coaching turnover. Joining me on the Stat Chat is Isha from the SodaPod and co-founder of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're going to be talking about one of the coaches that were fired, Bruce Boudreaux, among a few other things. This is Ice Analytics. Welcome to episode number 22 of Ice Analytics. I am your host, Matthew Arp. If you noped out of last week's episode because you didn't want to listen to me ramble for 20 minutes, welcome back to our regularly scheduled format. This week, we're going to be talking about coaching changes. This was a ridiculous year in the amount of coaching turnover that occurred, a historic year with the number of coaches that were fired between the end of last season and so far this season. We're going to dive into that, which coaches were fired, and more importantly, how did their teams perform after coaches were replaced? I'm going to be joined on this week's Stat Chat by Isha from the Soda Pod. We're going to be talking about Bruce Boudreaux, a man near and dear to my heart, one of my favorite coaches of all time. How did the team perform? Why did the team perform better under Dean Evason than they did under Bruce Boudreaux? Tune into the Stat Chat to find out. But first, a small announcement to make that in a couple weeks, we're going to be turning the calendar over to June and... Our show is going to be adopting a new format. We are no longer going to be coming out weekly on Fridays. We're going to be coming out twice a month, also on Fridays. So if you're looking for an episode the first week of June and you can't find it, we didn't get canceled. We're just going to be adopting a new schedule going forward. Same great content, same in-depth analysis, same high-quality interviews, just a different schedule. And on that note... On this edition of Number Crunch, I'm going to be looking into midseason coaching changes. I'm going to be asking the following questions. Which coaches were fired throughout this season? How does that compare to previous seasons? And how did their teams perform under new leadership? First and foremost, I got to say, being an NHL coach is not a great gig. The hot seat for NHL coaches is insane. The average NHL coaching tenure is about two and a half years which would be the worst of all the four major sports, but the NBA actually has worse coaching tenure than the NHL. But compared to the NFL, 3.6 years, and the MLB, almost four years, being an NHL coach is a ticking time bomb. You are on the hottest seat of any coach short of the NBA. And this season in particular was just a landmine. There was more coaching turnover from the end of last year to date, than any other season in NHL history. 15 coaching changes. That's right, 15 different teams changed their coaches in less than one calendar year. And if you're over there keeping score, there's 31 teams. 15 of them changed coaches. Almost half of the league changed coaches. Eight of those coaches were fired during the season. Eight coaches were fired during the season. Six of them were fired for performance. The other two were fired because of other issues. Off-ice reasons. That's Bill Peters up in Calgary and Jim Montgomery down in Dallas who were removed or removed themselves because of 
off the ice stuff that was going on. But the six that were fired for performance, Bruce Boudreaux, Mike Babcock, Peter DeBoer, Peter LaVulette, Gerard Gallant, John Hines. The common denominator between all these coaches that were fired for performance reasons, their team ranked in the bottom quartile in goaltending. And you see this brought up a lot by people in the analytics community that bad goaltending is the reason why coaches get fired. Good goaltending is the reason why coaches get praised. But bad goaltending is the reason why coaches get fired. And it doesn't really matter who the coach is because goaltenders are voodoo. We're going to put this claim to the test. I want to see what's up with this. But it is ironic that John Hines and Peter DeBoer both got jobs after they were fired. John Hines got hired by Nashville after they fired LaVillette, and DeBoer got hired by Vegas after they fired Gallant. So apparently, like, they were bad enough to get fired from their current jobs, but they weren't bad enough to not be rehired. I mean, in what industry could you get fired and then turn around and get rehired and in some cases actually upgrade your station in life? It's an American dream, I guess. But the million-dollar question remains. Since the firings, what actually changed? Every team did improve their even strength goals for percentage by a decent margin, except for the Predators. But specifically, I want to go team by team or coach by coach and kind of look at what changed when they got rid of their coach. Let's start with Bruce Boudreaux. Minnesota Wild shot a lot more and improved their goals for by over one per 60. And at the same time, they increased their goals against, but the scoring improvement outpaced the goals they gave up. Interesting stat though, the goaltending actually got worse after they fired Boudreaux, dropping by another 1% even strength save percentage. The only thing you can say is this might have been a small sample size problem because Boudreaux was fired uh, mid-February. I believe he was the most recent firing of this batch of coaches. Mike Babcock gets fired from the Leafs. They tightened up defensively big time and they scored a little bit more. It's Reflected in their number of shots for and against, which which both dropped a bit. Honestly, though, not much really changed. Goaltending slightly ticked up, but nothing really earth-shattering. I mean, they won a lot more after they fired Babcock, but the underlying numbers didn't change a whole lot. Peter DeBoer got fired from the Sharks, and this is someone who did upgrade significantly. I mentioned earlier about getting fired from your job and then end up getting rehired with the promotion. DeBoer gets canned by the Sharks, the currently the third worst team in the league, and gets rehired by Vegas, who is leading the Pacific Division. So talk about an upgrade. And since he left, the Sharks tightened up defensively significantly. They dropped their goals against per 60 by almost one. And they did this while taking and giving up more shots. So how does this make sense? Goaltending significantly improved to the tune of almost a 4% increase at even strength. Nashville, they fired Peter Laviolette, and the Preds' possession numbers actually dropped several points. Their goals for per 60 dropped a percent, and they started giving up an additional shot per period. So unfortunately for Nashville, it hasn't gotten much better, and that's probably why they're in a fringe playoff position right now. This brings us to the Golden Knights, who fired Gerard Gallant after leading them to a Stanley Cup final in their first season, a playoff berth last year that ended with them getting robbed. And this year just started off kind of shaky with Flurry. Again, bad goaltending. Gallant's the one who has to fall on the sword for that. And the Golden Knights really saw 
the most significant improvement of any of these teams in possession and shot suppression, stifling teams to only 25 shots per 60, a drop of almost five, and they started shooting more often, resulting in a margin of about a 10-shot differential per 60. That's very impressive, but guess what? Goaltending has remained pretty much stagnant. So I think you can give a little bit of credit to Peter DeBoer for inheriting a good system and then just making it better. And then we've got John Hines from the New Jersey Devils, and they got a lot more defensive. They've given up less shots. They've given up less goals. However, not much of an improvement offensively. Where they did see an improvement is goaltending jumping from about 89.5 to 92, say, percentage. I guess if we're looking at it and surveying the landscape, there's a few teams that did kind of fit this narrative that goaltending was bad and the coaches fell on the sword. For the Wild, it didn't really seem like it was Boudreaux's fault, although the team is playing a lot better without Boudreaux. You got to ask yourself, was it goaltending or was it the rest of the team? The Leafs made some moves you know they got rid of Hutchinson they they moved some players around they brought some guys in and Keith has done a pretty good job with what he's got but goaltending doesn't seem to make much of a difference there the Sharks did improve their goaltending but their goaltending was so bad originally I don't know if there was any chance of digging themselves out of that hole so maybe DeBoer had to fall on the sword for that one Nashville nothing's really changed the Golden Knights really nothing's changed with goaltending so we're really only talking about the Devils and the Sharks that saw an improvement in their goaltending after they fired their coaches. And in the case of the Wild, their goaltending actually got worse after they fired Boudreaux. So if we're going to assess the the narrative that bad goaltending is the reason why coaches get fired, yeah, absolutely. That That is absolutely true. But is it really all bad goaltending? Because in a lot of these cases, the team's record improved and the goaltending didn't. So maybe there is something more to it. Maybe we do need to give some credit to teams for firing their coaches. Um, the Wild seem to be playing a lot better even in front of worse goaltending. The same can be said about the Golden Knights playing better in front of bad goaltending. And that is more of a system thing. You can't put that all on the goaltender. So hats off to the Wild and the Golden Knights for firing their coaches because it seems like it did light a fire under the team in a strange way and may have altered the course of their season and they're never going to have a chance to win the Stanley Cup because uh, the season ended the way it did. All right, enough of me rambling. I'm bringing Isha in from the Soda Pod. We're going to talk about Bruce Boudreaux. I want to get his thoughts on what changed before and after they fired Boudreaux on the Stat Chat. I'm joined on this edition of Stat Chat by Isha, host of the Soda Pod. You can find him on Twitter at VI Sports Talk and the show at the Soda Pod. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. How's it going? Ah, it's going great. How about yourself? Oh, I was just telling you prior to recording here, it's beautiful on Vancouver Island right now. Um, 20 to 20 degrees Celsius for all those up uh, north of the border. First, like really hot day here on Vancouver Island in spring. We've, we've had a lot of sun, got a lot of rain, Hell, hell, had some lightning and thunder the other night, but yeah, today's gorgeous, man. And after uh, after talking to you, I'm going to head back into the garden and continue to do some landscaping with a buddy. That's awesome. We actually have frost, like below freezing. It's going down Ooh. to like below zero, three nights in a row this week. 
Can you believe that? Isn't it supposed to be May? <laughs> well, I mean, I've I've lived in Northern British Columbia. I've lived in Calgary. Hell, I've even lived in like Quebec City. So I like I know I know those cold winters in Canada. But that's why I live in Vancouver Island now, man. It's the Hawaii of Canada, and it's gorgeous here. You know, pretty much all year. If you can handle rain, like rainy winters, which is they are dark, you know, because out east especially, like you get some sunny winters. Alberta gets some beautiful sunny winters, despite the snow and it being cold. The only price you pay for living in a beautiful rainforest here on the island is like your, yeah, your winters are wet and, and gray. But if you can handle that, oh, it's, it's worth it 100%. Well, I guess we should talk some hockey. Uh, <laughs> first off, I got to ask the big, big picture. You're doing the wild podcast. Yep. You're the insider for the, for the Minnesota wild. How are you feeling about their, their season so far uh, as of the pause, you know, compared to last year, they're one point out of a wild card going into the stoppage well um i don't know i'm kind of far from an insider being on the other side of the well, north america but, but <laughs> you're right i have been following this team like crazy like people ask me like you know you, are you a fan of the canucks right you're on the west coast i'm like well like yeah i am but to be honest i haven't watched a single one of their games this year. i've watched every single wild game so i mean my my opinion on the season is it's, it's been a roller coaster man you know coming out zero and five out of the gates having that heavy away schedule um, and they just didn't look good at the beginning of the season. And then halfway through the season when, oddly enough, their schedule shifted and the Wild had a ton of home games, which they played pr- pretty well at home all season, even when they were on the road predominantly in the first half of the season. When they came home for like a game or two, they did play well. So in the second half of the season, um, they, they played damn good hockey and a, a couple of their players really started to, well, to light it up. You know, Kevin Fiala leading the team in, 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 in points, especially Zach Parise, who looked really rusty in the beginning of the season, shook that off midway and had 25 goals, you know, in the most Zach Parise dirty way in front of the net, but still 25 goals. He led the team in goals. Um, and then finally, Ryan Donato, who was essentially put in a cage under Bruce Boudreau, was finally given some more minutes be it on a fourth line under Dean Evison and scored 14 goals, I believe on the season. And with Bruce Boudreau, he played maybe like seven to 10 minutes a night, not even in the third period. So um, things are, we're looking really good towards the end of the season, which makes, you know, this, this stoppage um, the more, the more devastating. Everyone has a preference as far as how things resolve this year, if they resolve at all. What, what is your preference as far as how do you want to see the season resume? I know there's been a million different proposals thrown out there. So I'm not asking you to predict what you think is going to happen, but what would you like to see happen? Do you want to see a, a finish to the regular season or would you rather see things just start with a playoff, like an expanded playoff that would include the wild? What are your thoughts on that? Well, this is like, that's the question. That's the hardest question, right? It's like, uh, I like, I'll say this. I think it's best for the league. I, I really do to cancel the season, put efforts and resources into providing a solid draft, a solid real free agency and next season and just next season in general, getting next season figured out, getting all these conditional uh, picks attached to trades, all, all that stuff figured out rather than kind of pushing, you know, chugging, chugging along every day, not really knowing what's, what's going on. And if a decision um, from, you know, provincial or statewide health ministers give the green light on sports, maybe just fast tracking that without putting any forethought into like the ramifications of if another breakout ensues, like it just seems like right now there's, there's way too much up in the air for the national hockey league really to, to make the right decision. Now, maybe a, a fine decision, maybe the, the best decision possible with all the variables at play. But I think the right decision is to have a good draft, you know, make, give, give the fans at least that. Don't, don't rush it and have it, you know, in, in early June. Like, figure it out, pro- or, do, or do have it in early June, but, but cancel the season and actually just pl- 
you know, put efforts into planning that properly. That way you can go into free agency with a lot of loose ends tied up into, you know, Gary Bettman or just some, some branch of government governments from the NHL to actually like meet with teams to discuss uh, conditions uh, attached to picks and like what's going to go on there. And, and furthermore for the draft to allow trades, right? Cause if we have a draft with no trades, I mean, man, it's going to be ridiculous. Like you look at Montreal, they, they have 14 draft picks. You think this was their plan to go into a draft with no, without being able to trade any of them or their players. Like it's ridiculous. They obviously had a plan to address some things on that day or they wouldn't have that many draft picks. I got a, a proposal for it. I got to throw something out there. I'm going to see, you know, I, I get what you're saying. And I think there's a lot of merits to that. Just like canceling the season, moving on to the off season. I mean, we're already, you know, middle of May, end of May at this point. Uh, so I feel like uh, playoffs should have been well underway at this point. But to play devil's advocate for a second, I mean, a lot of guys played hard this year, um, stockpiled a lot of points this year that all that would be for nothing if you just canceled the season and just moved on to next year. What would you think if we started next season with the number of points that teams ended with this season and essentially had like a combined 2019 2021 season like a two years worth of seasons where teams can keep their points from this year for next year first i'm gonna say like i don't believe it's all for nothing and this obviously this is going to reflect that obviously i don't play i'm not a professional athlete and i'm not part of the nhl i'm just a guy talking about it and and running a network but to answer truthfully it's not all for nothing at the end of the day this is a entertainment sport and through that entertainment of people buying tickets getting inspired to buying merch et cetera, et cetera. That's what pays these guys, you know, contracts at the end of the day. And yeah, of course you're driven to win the Stanley cup to put on the most entertaining uh, show possible. And so to say it's all for nothing, I, I think takes away from like, no, they, no one saw this coming. They still played as hard as they could thinking that, okay, we're going to play for something, but this, we're not living in a fantasy. Like this is real. And I feel like I feel like you have to put weight into actually like doing, doing a good job and not having the next season uh, be compromised. And in regards to your second point, um, that's out of the box thinking for sure. I'd, I'd probably rather just continue to, to wait, start up right in the playoffs or have like some quick play in some play in tournament of some sorts and just kind of get fast track, getting it over with and starting late rather than kind of just, again, something that the NHL is going to have to like create on the fly and combining like a, a start of a season. Um, but I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Like, I think at the end of the day, out-of-box thinking and out-of-box plans may be the answer overall. Like, who knows? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no game plan. There's no script to follow for dealing with a pandemic because uh, this is probably, hopefully, the one and only one we're going to be dealing with in our lifetime. But yeah, there's no, there's no plan. So I feel like everyone's kind of, making it up as they go along and the NHL is doing the same. And I know the players like obviously re really want to play because they, that that's what drives them to be the, the best athletes that they can be is to, to win the Stanley cup to go as far as you can with your team and, and, you know, personally in your career. But, but like I said, if, if, if the health ministers give the, the green light on this and we can at least get it back on TV, like I'm not going to be bitching and complaining about it, obviously like I'm a fan of the sport. And if it's done properly, then, then sweet, at, at least we can see the end of it in some sort of fashion, be it a play-in tournament and an actual full-length Stanley Cup um, well, tournament itself and Stanley Cup finals with the best with best of uh, seven-game series. Um, I have no issues pushing the season forward as long as they just give themselves enough time to prepare for it properly. That, that's what I want to, I guess, uh, highlight here. Like, I, I don't care if the season starts you know, in November. I, I just want, I want them to have a quote-unquote off-season so that they can kind of 
I don't know, clean up after this entire mess and get everything back in order. Totally. Yeah. I think, I think everybody agrees, you know, health and safety of the players is probably the most important thing that, uh, that needs to come out of whatever decision they make, you know, rushing it back. And like you said, having the second wave or having someone contract the, the virus and then, you know, you have to cancel the season that nobody wants that. No. And, and I just feel for like, again, uh, moves that franchises plan to make at the NHL draft, for example, or just some of these young prospects who a lot of people are saying like, it doesn't really matter. Like a lot of these prospects, like they're just going to be probably, you know, get, uh, receiving a phone call and you know, saying, Hey, this is what we want for you. But there's, I don't know. I, I, a lot of prospects in the first round probably visit their camps, probably just get, you know, that, that whole experience of being drafted, um, you know, getting your plan together with the, the, the franchise that drafted you. And I think that if they can't meet in person, that the NHL should just put a lot of resources into at least providing those players uh, the experience to the best of their ability as well. Fair enough, man. Well, this week's episode has been dedicated to coaching changes and the historic number of coaches that were fired since the end of last season. And I wanted to talk to you specifically for uh, about the wild for a couple different reasons. And, and first of all, Minnesota had a coaching change when they fired Bruce Boudreaux. And uh, secondly, Bruce Boudreaux has to be my favorite all-time coach. Like I love Bruce Boudreaux ever since that the HBO 24 seven series with yeah. him, like going off in the locker room. Like he's got a special place in my heart. Like I'm a huge Bruce Boudreaux fan and I, it was disappointing to see him get fired after 57 games. Um, so I wanted to ask you about those, uh, about him and about the wild, but generally, I guess, why do you think NHL franchises have such little patience with their coaches? The lowest coaching tenure and of, of any major sport uh, under two and a half years why do, why do you think that is um i mean that's an awesome question actually and a lot of things came to mind uh, i think because there's so many people um involved in in one well in one hockey team there's so many players who can you know if they think the game in a certain way can thrive as coaches there's obviously coaches up and down the bench for different you know for for um, special teams, for defense, um, to running the power play, et cetera. Uh, there's different staff members just around the rink and attached to the organization in different facets as well. What I'm trying to get at is there's so many hockey minds on every team in so many leagues at different levels who have climbed the ranks and who can. So there's always new ways of coaching. Like hockey is one of like the fast, uh, it's, the culture may not have developed quickly, but I feel like the sport itself can, is one of the fastest developing sports. I mean, every like three years, there's a different way to win, which is crazy. We don't see that in a lot of sports. You know, you look in the NBA, you see, you see the, the, the same type of, of team win every, every, every year. Um, I know if you have like a LeBron or a Jordan on your team, you can have one player who can just help dominate and win you a championship. I'm, but I'm talking like Golden State Warriors. You think them, you think three-point shot. And that they continue to, to be able to win with that strategy. Where the National Hockey League, you look at the Kings. Well, the Kings of a few years back that, I don't know if I'd quite call them a dynasty team, but, but close to anyways, they you can't win hockey games these days with that brand anymore because it's, it's speed right now. And, and now it's, now it's kind of developing to like speed with skill. So there's just, it's such a developing sport that the minds have to develop as well and evolve. And I think because there's so many of them in the sport and so many moving, as you said, because of the shelf life of them in every franchise, if you don't catch fire quick, then you move to a different team. And if you have that chemistry and they can buy into your system and want to play for you, then you can catch fire and, uh, and have success, which Bruce Boudreau seems to do everywhere that he lands. Um, and secondly, every season, there's the next best guy 
on every team, either moving up from ECHL, from uh, junior teams that have good ties with the National Hockey League club or, or AHL franchises like we saw. Um, well, like we saw a ton of this year as well, like with the Maple Leafs, for example. And I think that um, the next be- best guy up mentality for coaches, especially within the franchise, is a real thing because we see, we see it often. I mean, Travis Green with the Vancouver Canucks right now, is, has, Coach Utican had a pretty, pretty good success with them and he was called up. And I think internally or externally, um, every NHL team just every year sometimes can, can flip in regards to just how competitive they are. We've seen that with um, the Colorado Avalanche a few years ago, right? Where Patrick Waugh came in and everyone's like, oh, he's, he's the answer to this team. And then in two years, the team was down in the dumps, right? I mean, I could, I could lay a ton of examples in regards to that. So there's a lot of moving parts for this, but I'd say that there's just so many minds in the sport and the game is developing at, at such a quick uh, pace every year that, that that's, that's one of the reasons for the musical chairs game. And that's a really good point because you don't hear about a lot of NBA coaches that get promoted from the G League or the D League or, you know, in, in the NFL, there is no developmental league. And the track record of college coaches that are able to hack it in the NFL are, are pretty, pretty slim to none. Uh, there's very few that make that transition very well. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Like having an established minor league system and especially the AHL, I, I, yeah, the, the number of coaches that get promoted from being AHL head coaches to being NHL head coaches are within the system that that doesn't exist in other sports. Well, and CHL too does a, does an outstanding job. The Canadian hockey league, like in the QMJHL, the, the OHL and the WHL respectively, um, they do an outstanding job as well as like a lot of coaches. And I think I'll go back to the Travis green example. I'm pretty sure he, I I forget which, I want to say Spokane or Medicine Hat, but it's probably both of them are wrong. But anyways, he was a, a Portland. That's what it was with the Winterhawks. He was a, an assistant coach or associate coach there for a while and was able to make the jump quickly to the AHL, have success right off the bat, and then boom, National Hockey League with the growing franchise. So you can, because of the way it's set up, like the CHL pretty much is like, okay, this is the dumbed down professional type of lifestyle with, with games midweek and 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 well, those long bus rides and whatnot, especially in the WHL, it's pretty grueling. It's, there's not many, uh, we're not as close quartered as you, you guys in Ontario <laughs> over there. Um, so it's, it's a grind. And that's why I think a lot of players have a ton of success coming from the WHL because it really emulates what it's like to be a professional hockey player early on. And that goes the same uh, for coaches. Yeah, yeah, I buy it. I think you make a lot of convincing uh, points there. But specifically, I, we do got to talk about Bruce Boudreaux. I, I definitely want to hear about not just how uh, it was perceived at the time, but now that, you know, there's been some time since then, uh, what people think about the move. But, you know, at the time, so I guess we should start with when he was fired after 57 games, what was the reception by the fans? Let's just say it was hard for them, but this was a ticking time bomb all season. It was, without ever saying it, even like the local writers were kind of like, I don't think Bruce Boudreaux, whether he's fired mid-season, end of the season, or they don't re-sign him, uh, that he's not going to be with the Wild just because he's not Billy Guerin's guy. And man, with the Wild going through two regime changes in a, in a year's time with Paul Fenton just not working out as a, you know, one of the leaders of this franchise, and then Billy Guerin coming in. Bruce Boudreau was was part of both of that. And man, that, that must be just exhausting too, um, having to like fight for your coaching, you know, and win over your GM twice in a row. But I do know Fenton like was, made it known that he was going to keep where Garen kind of left things up in the air. Um, so everyone kind of knew it, it was just going to happen because B- 
Billy Guerin, it took time to put his stamp on this team. Like he signed Spurgeon early on. Um, he made that, I believe a minor league trade and then made a huge splash with that Jason Zucker trade, which I think was an outstanding trade, sending him to the Pittsburgh Penguins. So he slowly w- was putting his, uh, his stamp on this team. And, it's kind of funny. He actually wanted to fire. This came out uh, shortly after the firing. He wanted to actually fire him a, a few games before because I believe that a really bad game. I, I want to say it was in Boston or New York on an Eastern swing. And they, they came back after a back-to-back. So he wasn't going to fire him that night. They're going to wait. Um, and then they won their next like two or three games. And he was like, oh, shit, well, I can't. <laughs> I can't fire him now. So actually like he just waited for the next loss That's awful. <laughs> until he could fire him. Uh, yeah. And like, there wasn't any ill will, but I do believe it was just a, a deployment thing at the end of the day. And it's not like Billy Graham was looking for anything to, to, to set him off, but I, I do believe he wasn't in his plans long-term and it was like, okay, well, Ryan Donato's not getting minutes and our team's actually doing okay. Why, why don't you play this young player? Like it, the, the, the agenda wasn't to make the playoffs and go on a run this year, unless you were Bruce Boudreau, because that's what Bruce Boudreau does. And that's what makes him an outstanding coach. Right? So to get back to your original like question, the fans, they, they, they were wait, kind of waiting for it. Um, some understood it. Um, even those who understood it were, were pretty sad. I, honestly, he was loved in this market, just like the way you talk about him. I mean, I, and I'm a Washington Capitals fan. I know you follow that team as well. Like you just, from Bruce Boudreau's time coaching that team, you just have to love this coach, especially after that HBO series. Like, oh man, pulling the curtain back on Bruce Boudreau, you could tell like this guy was probably so much fun <laughs> as a professional player. And as an, imagine him as an AHL coach, like back when he was in Hershey, like, oh man, he must've been a riot just coming up. Uh, so anyways, the, the market loved him as much as some of the players on, on the team, man. Like, and I'm not even, I'm not even kidding there. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's the end of Bruce Boudreau in the national hockey league. Like he has at least one more solid run with, uh, with an established team before, uh, before he starts riding off into the sunset. You know, I was, I was actually giving me my follow-up question is, is if uh, you thought he was going to get another crack because I mean, we know it's one of these things where I feel like a lot of coaches, they, uh, they get recycled until they don't. You know, and, and you, you never know when that's going to happen. It's just like a, a guy's going along, gets fired a couple times, and then just suddenly the market dries up. But, uh, yeah, he's been in Washington. He's been in Anaheim, Minnesota. Do you think he's got a fourth run in him somewhere? I, I really do, to be honest, because, uh, though like, he's getting up there in age. Um, he, he's a player's coach, but he's stern. He's kind of like the old – he's old school, but he was, he was the playful guy uh, back in the day. So I think that he brings, like – both both things that players need to be successful um, from a coaching aspect to the modern age. I, I really do believe that. Now I'm just I just got the teams up in front of me to see like what contenders or brink contenders he could he could take over. Because if you look at the Minnesota Wild, like he had pretty good like he had, he had success with this team like all the years he was with them. Yeah, I know last year was a little bit of a, a tire fire towards the end of the season. Again, I blame Paul Fenton for that more than anything, just mixing things up chemistry-wise and not uh, not really listening to, to what the players wanted and needed at the time. But he, he with a team that wasn't outstanding, Bruce Boudreau got the best out of the, the Minnesota Wild. I truly believe that. Now, Bruce Boudreau is obviously like, if you follow him throughout his career, you know, he doesn't really maybe it's him maybe it's the players who knows but in the playoffs not as successful as the regular seasons going back to Washington all those president's trophy seasons and then what out in the first second round Mm -hmm. of the playoffs it was kind of the same thing with the wild I believe they won a president's trophy with Bruce Boudreau behind the bench if I'm not mistaken either it was the west or or a president's trophy um a few years back I'm just looking at the teams now though man like like let's let's talk about this together like what what team do you think you could take over I mean uh, like Nashville Predators, uh, Dallas or the San Jose Sharks, perhaps. Like I don't, I don't know. 
it would have to be a team that like has the talent there and are just missing that extra piece or two and new voice. I mean, that's the thing is that it really does beg the question if Boudreaux is a great coach or if he just happens to be on a team with great players. Cause I mean, he inherited Washington at the perfect time when they were ascending. And I think you got to give credit credits due. I mean, he won, uh, you know, the, the division every year he was there and then, to get fired and go to Anaheim when they had just got Ryan Kessler and like things were looking pretty good for them. And they were kind of in their prime. He won the, the Pacific every year he was out there too. Okay. Well, I'll challenge you on that. I don't think that those are the best rosters that those teams have ever had. Those were like, if you look at from a young angle, the Washington Capitals, yeah, they were up and up. But if you compare the rosters that he had compared to the ones that we've been seeing lately in the last three years, not even close, man. I mean, Mike Canuba was the, yeah. like, the top winger with, with Ovechkin. Now he's got, you know, Wilson or uh, TJ Oshie. I, I don't know. So, and, with, and with the Anaheim Ducks, I mean, yeah, they were, I don't think they were in their prime either. I think they were an, they were an older version of the Ducks. They were still great. Ryan Kessler was obviously in, in well, as fine form as he could have been leaving the Vancouver Canucks. But I still think like he just, he, he helped teams that are elite. Don't get me wrong. But those who may not have been the best team in all of the National Hockey League and be able to just give them that extra, that extra step. Because for some reason, Teams like to buy into yeah. him. I, I like. I, obviously, I, I don't play the game. I'm not inside the locker room uh, in Minnesota or never been in Washington. But I just I feel that way from what I've read and what I've heard um, from you know the likes of Michael Russo, who is uh, pretty tight with Boudreaux and actually had him on his uh, athletic podcast straight from the source a few few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is you know he takes a good team and makes them great. But we've never seen him yeah, take yeah. a bad team and make them good. And I don't think he's going to do exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> I completely agree because you're going to get four good years out of him and if if you can if you can put him in the right situation where he's got a good team a good lineup around him he can get the most out of those players but dallas man i'm just looking at him now i'm like this team because like yeah they're a few pieces away from again like being one of the the top dogs in the national hockey league i really i really do believe that like they have some outstanding players but if if you look at the actual roster like there's some it could use a little bit more fill Oh man, I think that he, this is like, a, this is an example of a team that he could step in and I think have some success with. Um, and who knows like what goes on with the Nashville Predators either, but perhaps like that, that type of team. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just literally just scrolling through the teams now who I'm like the coaching is kind of a uh, question, but I don't think New Jersey ain't going to New Jersey. <laughs> I feel like the two places you just mentioned, Nashville and Dallas have something in common and that is good barbecue. And we know Bruce loves his brisket. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And his Hagen does. But yeah, get oh, back man. to Wild for a second. You know, Brujo gets fired. Dean Evison steps in. He goes 8-4-0 before the season paused after uh, Brujo went 27-23-7. And, and I mentioned, I, I went through all this stuff in the previous segment, going through all the different things that uh, changed before and after the coaching, uh, the coaching change. And I can tell you that the, the Wild increased their possession numbers. They increased their shots on net. They increased their shooting percentage. Uh, the results are there. Something definitely got better after firing Boudreaux, even though it's a super small sample size, only 12 games. But uh, I'm curious, like, I know you mentioned some of the stuff about ice time for some of the depth players, but, but what has Evison done differently than Boudreaux? Well, that, that was one of the big factors is actually, you know, giving some, like, just player de- deployment and ice time for sure. Um, and yeah, he did an outstanding job t- taking over this team. And I think is actually in the mix for the head coaching position next, next season. He's at least going to get like an interview hundred percent. I think it just comes down to culture though. The players didn't hate Bruce Boudreaux. Um, some of the, the younger players weren't getting a lot of ice time because Boudreaux, like he wants to win. And he was relying on a lot of the older players who maybe, I don't know, just weren't buying into what he was selling now because he'd been there for a long time. 
time and they haven't just seen the results. And, and, and again, like that's just my opinion. Cause I know Jason Zucker and him butted heads earlier, earlier in the season, but there was no ill will um, from what I read and what I believe, you know, coming out of again, like the athletic and, and those uh, pretty close to the Minnesota wild. Um, but I think, I think the players also didn't assume he was going to stay all year either. I think, you know, if obviously we speculated about it, then the players must have speculated about it too. Um, maybe even some knew about it. Who knows? I think Evanson kept things loose. Uh, he was already familiar with uh, the guys, get a good relationship with them being the assistant coach. And as kind of we all know as hockey fans and those who, who cover the game and follow the game, the assistant coach is more of like the good cop in the good cop, bad cop relationship with the head coach and the assistant coach. They're the ones who the players can, can text late at night when they, when they need some, uh, I don't know, need, need, need some advice, need just someone to talk to in general. I'm not to say the head coaches don't provide that role in, in any of, uh, in any hockey league up and down the ranks. You know, some, some do, but from, from what I've heard of any is what I think everyone assumes is like the assistant coach has a different bond with the players than the head coach. So him coming up kind of playing with house money being like, this team's on a run right now. We got Kevin Fiala just lighting it up. Um, I'm just going to keep being Dean Evanson, the coach that I was earlier this season. And we're just going to keep rolling. Now, will you have to adjust as a head coach? Probably. But I think, uh, I think culture was honestly the, the biggest thing this year because the numbers are obviously all good from an analytics perspective, from the eye test perspective, and from you know the players' results uh, with their scoring there on the ice. Um, but I also think that as a result of all that as well, and a big bubble to it all is is culture. The one thing that didn't change that kind of surprised me and actually got worse. And again, it's a, it's a different sample when you're comparing 57 games to 12. But goaltending, I, what, what's going on with oh, goaltending man. in Minnesota this year? It's literally the reason the Minnesota Wild are one point not in a playoff spot and not in a playoff spot. It really is. I mean, I talked about this with Jay Fresh on the Soda Pod last week um, or the week before rather. And he even said like the Wild were up there in five on five scoring. They're up there in shooting percentage. Um, Their special teams are up there as well, but it was goaltending. Goaltending was holding them back. Like their defense, they have some of the best defenders in, in the National Hockey League. And Jared Spurgeon, for example, and Brodeen had one of the best defensive seasons uh, this year as well. And their goaltenders j- just burned them. Now, like uh, Stalock, Alex Stalock, he's not a number one. He, he, he probably knows that. The team knows that. He had to play that number one role this year. And he didn't put up terrible numbers, but he didn't win clutch games. Um, you know, th- there, there were nights where the Minnesota Wild were, were – shooting nine goals up against you know Dallas or trading I think it was like eight to six against Phoenix and those were games where the wild like they should have won they sh- they were more dominant but they just kept leaking goals that they had to just keep scoring uh, to, to run with it and that that's and you can't blame Devin Dubnik either and I'll get into that in a sec but Alex Daylock he he rose to the occasion have you know putting up 20 wins 11 losses um th- that's not bad a 91 save percentage um again, not bad for, for what he is, but he's a one B at the most. And Devin Dubnik, he's been, he's been falling off, um, you know, since he broke out uh, with, with the wild. Uh, I, 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 for some reason, it must've been a president's trophy uh, season when they won, when he went on a run, um, I think his second season joining them this year, he had a lot of uh, things he had to address off the ice in his wife's health. Uh, she was in dire straits for a good chunk of the season. So he was in and out of, uh, the locker room with the boys and practices. And then when he was playing, you know, obviously just didn't catch any sort of stride. Uh, the goaltender game is a huge mental game as well. And if you can't get in the zone and get your confidence up there, it's just, it's going to affect your physical play a hundred percent. And I think uh, just not 
not having hockey as like the number one focus really affected Devin Dubnik um, in addition to just his declining play with age or, or whatever factors are playing into that as well. So next season, like the wild, I, I really do believe that the players on this team are going to take an, a, a, a step forward. Um, and some players like Matt Dumber are going to play a lot better than they did this season. And with the addition of, you know, Kirill Kaprizov coming in as well, like the Wild have a chance to be a, a really good team in the National Hockey League, maybe even a great team um, next season if they can at least get some average goaltending. Yeah, and that's I, was, I had this conversation with uh, Mark from the Vegas podcast about Flurry this year because he had a uh, his father passed away, and and you know he talked about how that affected him and we know like you said the goaltender position is i think it's one of the hardest positions in all of sports uh be, you know there's a lot of pressure on you to perform every night and having any little thing off can really affect your performance and i didn't realize what dubnik was dealing with this season but i mean that makes a lot of sense why his play so significantly dropped off compared to previous years but as a fan i mean are you are you willing to give him another chance next year or i even like not even willing, but contractually, like what options do you have for the goaltender position going forward? Well, that's the thing. They kind of, they can't do anything right away. Now they could probably find a new home for Staylock or, I mean, or send them down. Um, I, I really don't know. They could probably find a trading partner with, with Dubnik if they retain some of the salary. I think he only has two years left or just another year left on, on his deal. So it's not like they're stuck with these guys long-term. Um, and in their pipeline, you know, in the succession plan, and I highlight plan, there's a young goaltender by the name of Kapo Kakinen, who very small sample size, but played very well for the Minnesota Wild this season in the five games that he appeared in. And he played outstanding for Iowa this season, 34 games this season and 39 last season. Uh, this season in Iowa, he had a 92-7 save percentage, and he just oozing confidence even at the national hockey league level uh alex stalock funny enough is, is, a, is a goalie who loves to because he's not the the tallest guy he plays super aggressive and and challenges guys from outside the crease and just and he's really good at playing the puck because he's always had to be he had to rely on on different skills to be a dominant goaltender in the league and uh he i don't think he has a goal yet and it's really bugging him um and capo cockney in his like second game was like as every time he could was just firing one to the net if there's even a little bit of an opening and i guess stalock was just like what the hell like from the bench like chirping him like you can't do that yeah you're not a veteran what what is this <laughs> um so hopefully he's 23 years old hopefully he gets a really good look next year and at least can take the reins as a as a 1b or backup but i think to one of the goalies there and right now I have to lean on Staylock personally, but I don't think Devin Dubnik or Stay or Staylock are in the plans moving forward. I think they're gonna have to address gold like they need to address goaltending more than they do their their center position because though they don't have a bona fide top center it, it didn't hamper them this season in scoring or five on five play at all. You can cross that bridge later because that's, that's a hard get goaltending. It's not as hard to acquire a goaltender. And I think they can make a trade or figure something. Absolutely. Out. Do you have, do you have any final thoughts on the, the coaching or the season or what's going on right now in the NHL? Well, I just think I want to just kind of talk a little bit about the wild a little bit more here. I just want to get your thoughts on like this, this defense. Cause I know they're analytically they're one of the better defense uh, cores in the league. Um, and th there's a decent amount of scoring that comes from the defense as well. I know Matt Dumba was significantly down in scoring this year. Quite frankly, in the, in the first half, didn't have a good season. But to defend Matt Dumba, I mean, he uh, had a pectoral tear and he had off-season surgery. And then 
um, and then got an infection during rehab, so just never got an off season to train. And I think that's what really derailed his his season. In, in regards to just that storyline, that's pretty well known already. Like, what are your thoughts on this defense, and why do you think the likes of like Jared Spurgeon are so underrated? Because and people say it's just because you're in a Minnesota Wild market, and and I get that they're not a flashy market like the Rangers or the Canadians, but they're they arguably have the best fan base in the United States. Um, I, I don't know, like, what, why don't, like, this guy's a top five defender in the league, no? Yeah, he is, absolutely. And I don't have a good answer for you. I, I feel like there's, it's easy to say, like, oh, they're Minnesota's in the middle of the country and it's flyover country and, you know, they don't get any attention. I think there's something to that. I mean, we all know I'm two hours from Toronto and, and I feel like that's all you hear about is Toronto. Uh, I feel like that's all you hear about in Ontario is about the, the Maple Leafs. So, you know, there's certain media markets, New York, Toronto, LA. They get a lot of attention. It's Minnesota. You know, they're not a huge media market. I think that uh, that's part of the problem, that they're just not getting the exposure that they deserve. Uh, and especially for Spurgeon, I would completely agree. Top five defenseman in the league, but I don't feel like anyone even knows his name. The other thing is, like, this is a conversation I had with, uh, with Shane Ryan from the, uh, the, the uh, Censorian podcast. The NHL does not do a great job at marketing their stars. We've seen some people break out, like P.K. Subban, has done a great job of kind of making his mark. He had to do and it on his own. <laughs> exactly. He did it on his own. But, but you know, and that's the thing is that we have some stars that I think, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I love the rivalry, the Ovechkin-Crosby stuff, and, I, and, the, and, and Matt, well, Matthew Zeichel, McDavid, you know, that it's cool to see those rivalries build, but I feel like the NHL just does not do a very good job of marketing their stars. And I think, uh, yeah, I don't know why Spurgeon is so underappreciated. I, I wish I had an answer for you. Yeah, and like if you look at the way the NBA does it, man, like I I I hate pretty much everything Boston related sports wise except the Celtics because the NBA marketed the hell out of uh, Kevin Garnett when he was there and made that like last run with the Celtics yeah. and I and I became a Celtics fan and I to this day like still cringe at the fact that I have a Garnett jersey, but it's the truth. Like they, the the league yeah. helped make make a fan out of me, um, you know, and and to to inspire me to buy that jersey. And I, and I live in Vancouver Island. Like, I have no connection to Boston, right? If anything, I have a hate for Boston. So <laughs> you're totally right there, man, where the National Hockey League has to do a better job with their stars because I feel like if, if, the, if the marketing from a particular franchise doesn't come through, and don't get me wrong, Minnesota Wild this season under Billy Guerin's regime has done a way better job than that of Paul Fenton's with some of like the, the inside room video, um, the stuff that they're doing during this pandemic are outstanding as well. So they're getting there. But it shouldn't be just the responsibility of the franchise when you have a growing league like this, a huge enterprise that can market some players, but don't don't do it with ones that like Jared Spurgeon, who it's 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 going to be a shame when people, you know, in the history books just look at his stats and go, oh, like wow, he was he was really that good, especially when analytics become like a regular thing, you know, oh damn, like why why didn't I have an opportunity to see this guy? You know, you can't even find that many YouTube uh, <laughs> highlights of him. I know. It really is unfortunate. I think every sport, even ones that do a good job, like you're always going to have your underappreciated stars. But yeah, he's like one of those guys. I mean, it's not quite flyover country, but uh, Columbus, I think, faces a lot of the same problems where, yep. you know, it's very difficult to be recognized as a star in a, in a small market like Columbus. And, and it really is unfortunate because they've had some some really good players go through there over the years. And they're never going to get as much love as they uh, as, as a New York team or you know, an LA team or a big market team. So yeah, I, th I think it is a big problem. No, yeah, for sure. And um, I hope that, you know, maybe this Kirill Kaprizov kid will, will come and 
you know, help, help light a fire uh, under the league to, to make sure that they start noticing the wild a little bit more, because if this guy turns out to be what, you know, he, if he reaches his ceiling, man, this kid could uh, like, could be, there's going to be a new 97 in town. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I hope he takes number 97 too. Cause that's what he wore in the KHL Kirill Kaprasov. And uh, I think that would be uh, pretty ballsy to come in as like a young Russian winger. <laughs> to Minnesota and just kind of under the radar be like, oh yeah, by the way, like, what's up, McDavid? Because <laughs> I believe they're the same age. I think they're both like 23, 24. Wow, that, that would be pretty sweet. Oh man. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. Just talking about this wild defense, it just gets me pumped, man. Especially if you look like looking at Ryan Suter, the, age, the ageless wonder who was second in points this year and had an outstanding year um, in the assist department putting up 40 he had 48 points this year it is i believe was a a career year in points in 69 games too and uh i don't know just quickly before we wrap up here because i know we've been going on for a while i'll ask you just one more thing because i'm always curious like covering the wild talking to other hockey fans who like you said just don't don't necessarily have a magnifying glass on this team like do you think that the parise suitor contracts are as bad as the league makes makes them out to be for this team because i thought so too before I started covering this team and I've, and I've changed my view on it a bit, just based, based on a them still playing damn good hockey, leading these, this team and not looking like they're slowing down. Yeah. I mean, those are what the, they were 10 year or 15 year matching contracts, 10 year, 10 year. How many years do they have left? Uh, I believe five or six. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I believe I, five actually. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, and they're, they're what, like 32, uh, 34. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, the, the, yeah, I uh, I don't feel too good about that. You're like uh, I can hear you're like sweating. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't feel too good about that. I wouldn't. I would definitely. I'm curious what changed your mind about this because yeah, they're performing pretty well, but we all know that the cliff is. I'm not trying to sound like Max Kellerman on first take or anything, but like the cliff is coming, and like one of these years, it they're gonna end up over the cliff. And uh, every year over 35, I feel like it gets worse and worse and harder and harder to perform and keep up with some of these young guns, but. Uh, yeah, I mean you're right. They they had good years this year, and uh, but yeah, five years, it, it's kind of twofold, right? Because if they end up playing out their contract, you're going to be paying for past performance, and they're going to be way past their prime, you know, three four years from now. Um, but the second thing is, if they retire on you, you get stuck with that recapture penalty, right? And that is probably that's worse than you know that's worse than the uh, the alternative. Yeah, I I, th- I think that Zach Parise just because he's a forward and plays in the dirty areas and plays a strong like just a strong game and you know net front presence etc. I think he's going to have the the quicker decline and maybe that's going to be the contract to worry about. To be honest, from what I saw with Ryan Suter this year and the last couple years with him being on the Wild, age doesn't matter with this guy. I think his decline is going to be slower because a he's not joining the rush at all. He's very much a stay home guy who can set up the play out, like out in an outstanding manner where he still puts up 40 assists. Hell, I don't know how many of them are secondary assists, but it doesn't matter because he's a he's a rock out there and he doesn't he doesn't do more than what he knows he can dominate in. And his game isn't necessarily a speed game, and that's okay because that that's his role in this team. And I think if he still continues to play like that, sure, there's going to be a decline. There always is, but he, I just think it's going to be a slower decline with him, much like that of Jared Spurgeon. Right? They locked him up uh, six seven six or seven years, um, and I mean I think they got a bargain for him. And he if he played in Toronto, he'd be a 10 million, $11 million player. But as he goes into his late thirties, I, I don't think that like the decline is going to be that steep. Prize who's had back issues. Um, mind you a few years ago. Uh, I, I think maybe he's the one who just cause he plays a little, a little harder, which we'll have to worry about. But from watching this season, man, I think 
you know, it's a, it's a hard pill to swallow because you can't like do a, you can't tear down the walls in your renovation as, as much as you, you want to. But having said that, like you may not need to with, with Ryan Suter. It's ironic you asked me this question because I'm actually, uh, I was just putting some charts together for a podcast. It's not going to come out for like a month now or, or two months now, but I was just putting some preliminary data together that was on age curves. I just happened to have the visualization up and I punched in Suter's name just to see how it looked. And uh, honestly, you might be onto something here because at age 34, he did better than he did at age 33 or age 32. Um, and better than he did at age 29, 28, and 27. He is somehow getting better. He's at a better year now than he did in his, in his mid to late 20s. So, and, and you're right about Parise. Like his decline is, is a little more sharp. So I think, there, I think that may end up being a, a decent contract for a few more years. But I mean, once you start getting pushing 40, it, it's going to be hard to find a good contract outside of somebody like Yager. No, and, and that's true. And like, I'm not disputing that. I just don't think it's as bad as people paint it, paint it out to be. Like, I think they're, I think the teams are stuck with worse, especially the teams who actually got stuck with that recapture in like Vancouver, who are eating 3 million against the cap, paying Luongo still. And who, it, who I think is ridiculous for not complaining to the, to the league a little bit more in that sense, because yeah, that, that would be the, the, the worst, like the worst possible outcome, in my opinion. Like if, if Suter can still play and yeah, it may be a bad deal, but if he could, if he's not hurting the team, then hell man, like you sign the contract, at least you have a player that you can count on. I mean, may not be worth the entirety of the contract, but hopefully um, the, the, the cap gets kind of <laughs> back in order as well in, in like two, two to three years. And it won't matter. I won't be that much of uh, an anchor anymore with the, the cap, uh, hopefully going up as it was projected to do so prior to all this COVID uh, craziness. Absolutely. And I mean, we see Chara doing it and I, I don't want to make it sound like that's the norm because it's not. Chara is definitely an outlier for being able to do what he does, you know, post 40 years old, maybe Suter will also follow suit. I think he's one of the more underrated elite defenders in this era. A hundred percent. When he, when him and Shea Weber were a pairing in Nashville, they were the best, defensive pairing that you know in a long in a long time i don't want to say in all of history but they were up there man like that was they were they were outstanding separate them they're still outstanding so i think he's just been very very underrated overall because you have a a 40 to 50 point defender who can who first and foremost plays defense and plays that well and can also chip in offensively and at least get the puck out of the zone to someone who can make a play and you know generate scoring opportunity that's that's something else and uh, i don't know if i mean I, I guess i do know in this case he played in nashville and minnesota so obviously he's not getting the recognition he deserves but i think in the united states they definitely know like we, with this time with team usa and whatnot that this guy's the real deal as i do with all my guests i i definitely want to give you the floor if you have anything you want to plug anything you're working on uh any shout outs you may have for anybody the floor is yours um well shout out soda pod again check it out uh since we the network's only cut down to one episode a week for national hockey league devoted podcast Every Monday, I feature a guest as well. So check that out. It'd be awesome. Uh, rate and review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts or wherever you can rate and review podcasts. Um, I'll do some network shout-outs. Uh, I don't know if you've already done them or not on the podcast, but I'm going to do them again anyways. Uh, cool Hockey. If you go to coolhockey.com slash THPN and use the promo code THPN, you get 30% off your purchase. And if you buy anything through that website link, again, coolhockey.com slash THPN, this month, the month of May, you get entered into our draw to win a $175 gift card to Cool Hockey. Uh, our promo codes in, in a few other places as well, which we're really excited about. Uh, Manscaped, you get 20% off Manscaped. 
Um, they're the best trimmer on the planet, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, finally, Southern Scholars Socks. Uh, we're running to the end of our promotion with them, but if you still want five bucks off your Southern Scholars Socks, THPN, it's the promo code. I'm just pumping it because uh, a lot, you know, our season's ending soon, uh, Matt, and uh, so, so are some of our sponsorship uh, deals. And we've been so happy to be working with a lot of these people uh, from a network position, as, uh, as I don't know if your listeners know, but uh, I help manage the network with my boy Dylan Kayser. Shout out Dylan and the Stick Hungry podcast. I know he's been on here uh, a couple times. Um, and it's just been such a great year. So I wanted to give out some love to some of our sponsors there and uh, encourage your listeners as well to take advantage of the promo code THPN. And finally, we have a ton of new shows on the network as well. A uh, hockey to heroin, the, the road to recovery hosted by Brady Leavold, a former pro hockey player who, you know, became addicted to some nasty stuff and he now is doing a lot better and uh, is telling his story and doing it here on the hockey podcast network. So uh, support him, check him out on the network and uh, check out hockey to heroin.com. And finally the fourth line voice for all you, uh, for all you analytic fans who also still uh, have a warm place for fighting in hockey in your heart, check out the fourth line voice podcast, uh, Darren at Southpaw. Uh, he's he's an absolute beauty and, and I, I won't even do it justice doing a little promo for it here just go go listen to it his guests range from other like uh contributors who run sites devoted to old old timer hockey or fourth liners and he gives them uh, a voice so uh like you've given me a voice here to plug my things uh thank, thanks man this is such a pleasure Asia, really appreciate it thanks for coming on love talking to pucks with you and uh hopefully we'll do it again sometime anytime man all right let's wrap this thing up well to be honest We've been going for a while now, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the interview. I don't have a whole lot else to say, except we do have a new employment opportunity for Bruce Boudreaux that actually just opened up this past week. If he ends up not getting a job offer from a city that offers great barbecue, there could be an interesting reunion between Bruce Boudreaux and the Toronto Maple Leafs because there's a assistant coaching position that opened up Paul McFarlane is going to be stepping down at the end of the year. He got a head coaching job with the OHL Kingston team, and that opens up a vacancy in Toronto, which there there is a connection. Boudreaux was born in North York, just north of the city. He played for the Toronto Marlboros back in the early 70s in the OHA. He was drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs. In the third round, number 42 overall in the 1975 amateur draft. It's not a head coaching job, but it's a coaching job with a hometown team that drafted him. What a lovely story that would be if that ended up coming true. And you know what? I can say firsthand that Toronto has some decent barbecue. The one place that does come to mind, the Stockyards on St. Clair. Oh my God. Delicious. I think he would very much like that. And, and I'm not trying to get a sponsorship opportunity. However, if the Stockyards would like to sponsor this podcast, I would absolutely do that. And you don't even have to pay me. You could just pay me in brisket. Honestly, I would t- accept payment in smoked meats. So there you go. I mean, money's nice too, because I don't know if I can pay my rent with a smoked meat sandwich. But hey, that's a conversation for another day. Speaking of conversations, next week's podcast is going to be a conversation with one of the biggest names in hockey analytics. I'm not going to tell you who, because I want you to tune in. I'm going to build that suspense for a week. And on that note, remember folks, drink and think.
responsibly. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Ice Analytics, your source for NHL stats and analysis hosted by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. You can find me on Twitter at Ice Analytics, and you can find the show notes at www.statsenforcer.com. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to our feed and leave us a review.